Hurricane Maria hit the island on September 20, 2017. It will never be the same. It will never be the same. If you still go out, you see a lot of debris by the highways, a lot of roofs that are gone, and you see, you know, buildings that are broken, and the traffic lights are not working in most of the places. Hi, this is Jennifer Abbasi for JAMA Medical News. And that was Dr. Miriam Allende Vigo, an endocrinologist in the town of Umacao in Puerto Rico. This June, as Puerto Rico entered the 2018 hurricane season, I spoke with her about what it was like caring for patients during and after last year's devastating storm and where things stand now. From the JAMA Network, this is the JAMA Medical News Podcast. Discussing timely topics in clinical medicine, biomedical sciences, public health, and health policy featured in the medical news section of JAMA. Hurricane Maria battered Puerto Rico for 30 hours, reaching wind speeds of 155 miles per hour. It caused an estimated $90 billion in damage. Almost 90,000 housing units were completely destroyed. According to estimates by Oxfam, 440,000 people still didn't have power nearly six months after the hurricane hit. The official death count is 64, but a Harvard estimate puts it at at least 4,645 lives lost. The highways and the streets, they are broken uh, holes in the streets and they have not been repaired. You look to the post and you see like hanging uh, wires and uh, still a lot of cables are hanging and broken. So you know that you have electricity and you have power, but it is just because they have mended some stuff, but the system is real, real uh, weak and uh, it can go down any minute. If you come um, by air and uh, you still have a lot of roofs that have the provisional uh, FEMA provided a blue roof, which is provisional, but it has not been uh, revealed yet. This is not normal. Still, you go to the supermarket and they're not fully equipped as they used to be last year. The town of Umacao, where Dr. Allende Vigo's clinic is located, is on the southeastern part of the island, about 45 minutes from San Juan. We have a big uh, resort, which is Palmas del Mar, which is a very high-end resort. It has a couple of hotels and very big mansions, but most of the people are, you know, low-income and uh, medium-income community. Tell us what happened during the days of the hurricane. How was your practice affected, and were you able to continue caring for your patients, and what conditions were you working under? Of course, the whole town was without any electricity, any power, and no telecommunications. So we were without power, most of the people, until January 2018, and still... A lot of my patients are getting power back home as of today. 
So there's still not 100% people in the community with power. We were able to get the office running approximately by the end of November using a power generator, and then uh, we had to rent a new cell phone line, and then we were able to at least have some communication because most of the patients, we couldn't get hold of them because they didn't have any telephone lines and the cell phones were not working adequately. In the center of the town where my office is located, we got power back by the first week of December. Still, we didn't have any telephone lines, no fax, no internet. Dr. Allende Vigo said that she worked without those crucial communications tools. Telephone lines, fax, and internet until February, four or five months after the storm. So most of the patients, what they did was that they kept coming around, and when they saw that their, the door was open, then they started coming in and telling their neighbors or whoever they knew that uh, my office was open up and running, and they were able to come back to their appointments. At the very beginning, uh, of course, we didn't have any uh, electronic medical record because uh, we didn't have any Internet. So we went back to paper, and we went back to written prescriptions. And, uh, of course, the pharmacies in uh, Puerto Rico were down for several weeks and they were unable to fill their prescriptions. Many patients threw their insulin away because they weren't aware that it lasts for a few days if it's kept colder than 86 degrees. Several pharmaceutical companies and relief organizations donated insulin and other diabetes supplies, which were handed out for free at distribution centers. Volunteer endocrinologists went to shelters and community centers and provided care, insulin advice, and prescriptions to diabetes patients. Speaking more generally, which patients in Puerto Rico do you think were hardest hit by the hurricane? It was everywhere. But the people uh, with less economic restraint, they are able to do better because they are able to pay for the diesel to run their generators. But, you know, the people with low income, which is more than half the population in Puerto Rico, They have a lot of hardship. The main problem was really with having no power. You know, all the electric grid in Puerto Rico went down, and people didn't have any power at home, no light, no electricity, no refrigeration, no ice, nothing. They couldn't cook, uh, and a lot of telecommunications were dependent on their electric power, so that's why they... Telephone lines went down, and the cell phones went down. They slowly came back, but that was the main problem, was power and telecommunications. Then some of the water is dependent on uh, power for pumps. So uh, many people that didn't have power at home, they didn't have water either, running water. Were there certain groups of patients that were more vulnerable uh, when the hurricane came? 
Yes, because uh, if you look at the population in Puerto Rico that have diabetes, and we have that documented in several studies, we have type 2 diabetes in Puerto Rico is a very prevalent condition. You know, 16% of all adults over 18 years of age have type 2 diabetes in Puerto Rico. We're the territory in the U.S. with the highest prevalence of type 2 diabetes. And besides that it is so prevalent and so frequent, the people that have a more type 2 diabetes are the ones with the lowest income and with the lowest scholarship. One out of every three persons with age over 65 have diabetes. So it's the elderly, the lowest income, the lowest education people that are hardest hit. Okay, you're describing a few months where you weren't in contact with them. Were you worried about your patients? Of course I was worried, you know, and uh, you just felt that uh, you wanted to do more. You wanted to reach them, but, you know, it, it was impossible, and, you know, so I was very worried, yes. And what did you do that, during that time? Well, I actually, as soon as I have uh, a telephone line, I was communicating with uh, several associations in the States, and with the volunteer net of endocrinologists in Puerto Rico in order to get insulin and distribute it. And we also were getting blood glucose meters and testing supplies, and we were trying to reach people with diabetes in the whole island to make sure that they had their supplies and that they were educated on how to preserve the insulin and how to take care of their feet and what to eat during those days and how to prepare their food in order for them to get control and not get their blood sugars tremendously high or uncontrolled in order to keep them away from the emergency rooms and the hospitals. I'm sure you're aware that the U.S. government's response to Hurricane Maria has been widely criticized. Do you think it moved quickly enough and provided enough assistance? No. No. Tell us about that. Definitely not. No. No. We needed help and we needed fast. And uh, it was too slow. And uh, we know we are an island, you know. We know we are far away, and that they need a few days to get here by sea. But the airport, the airport was, it was close to commercial traffic. It was just open for a relief activity. And still, a lot of the help that was collected in the mainland and was dropped here was staying in the Navy Pier, and uh, it was not picked up because the government couldn't figure out how to distribute it to the people they need, and they were unable to distribute enough diesel and gasoline fast enough so the trucks could move and take the supplies to the rest of the island. You know, they took a lot of time to get organized 
And in the meantime, people were suffering. Yeah. I'm sure you saw the new report uh, led by Harvard researchers that estimates that the official Hurricane Maria death count, which is 64 in Puerto Rico, uh, that, is that's far not too true. low. That's, that cannot be. You know, that cannot be. 64 cannot be. I personally know of uh, people that were hospitalized with pneumonia, and, uh, you know, they died a couple of weeks after the hurricane. Of course, you know, the hospitals were running on generators. They didn't have uh, the assisted ventilation as they should have it. It was impossible to take care of the people during those circumstances adequately. I saw a video of people at the Puerto Rico Medical Center, which is the main referral center for the island where the residents are, operating on their flashlights. Can you believe that? So why do you think the official death count is so low? Uh, Because they don't want to tell the truth. Where do things stand in terms of health care? So are hospitals and clinics still dealing with the aftermath and are patients getting the care they need? The hospitals are running more or less uh, back to normal, yes. The hospital, yes. And what about your practice? Is it back to normal? I would say yes. So are you worried about this hurricane season? Do you think Puerto Rico is better prepared or is it more vulnerable than ever? We get hurricane warnings every year. So we get water, and we have generators, and flashlights, and we had food, and everything. But we never thought that we would be hit so hard, and uh, that it will take us so long to get back to normal. So I hope that we have learned to make things different, and to prepare in a better way. Of course, we're going to do some things different based on what we had last year. But really, as the island is right now, even a small storm will do a lot of damage. Have you made any different preparations? At home, no. Because I had a generator, I had a cistern, a water cistern. In the office, we bought a generator, a power generator. And so that's different from last year. That's all that we can do, you know. Any other message you would want to get across to physicians who will be listening to this? You know, we physicians are geared toward caring for our Patients, and I know of a lot of physicians that open back their offices without power, without any facilities. So they went out and they put some uh, table and a chair and they took care of the patients there and write prescriptions and examine over there, you know. So We are really proud of the medical community in the island, and uh, we are very thankful for all the people in the states or the physicians that call us and offer their help 
and we're very grateful to them. And I just will encourage them to, if they see us, to go to this hardship again, to give us a call and, uh, you know, comfort us and, uh, and give us hope in order for us to, to work. That's it for this episode of JAMA Medical News. To listen to more podcasts and subscribe, go to JAMANetworkAudio.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play. Audio production was by Michelle Krasinski. Once again, I'm Jennifer Abbasi, Senior Staff Writer for JAMA Medical News. Thanks for listening.